Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 112 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer-producer-director J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm Matt Crandall, here with my co-host Marcelo Inostroza, as we are wrapping up our rewatch of Fringe Season 3. Today we are going to be talking about the 22nd episode of the third season, The Day We Died, the universe colliding finale that aired May 6th, 2011, written by Akiva Goldsman, J.H. Wyman, Jeff Pinkner, directed by Joe Chappelle, one of the mainstay directors of the Fringe universe. Marcelo, have we been leading up this entire time to one of our characters just not even being on the board at all going forward. Last week, at the towards the end of our last episode, I questioned why I particularly liked J.H. Wyman's run on the show. Like I was really miffed, and you were there. You can tell me I, I was I was spinning really, and this is a finale that I wasn't expecting. I was really, re- I, I was really, really shocked with the way that they did it because essentially they fixed the problem by Peter mentally going into another version of himself and that other version of himself eventually going back into our version of Peter. You know, he ends up doing some uh, wibbly wobbly, you know, timey-wimey stuff to fix this this calamity between our universe and the all universe. So this episode of fringe was very, very fringe in a way that I didn't expect. This is not what I imagined when they did this episode, no one could have predicted where they would have taken it. And it does create one of the most dynamic and thrilling episodes of the series bar none, you know, forget of the season. It definitely is of the season, But I don't want to be like that guy. There is a lot of stuff that on further reflection afterwards that starts to really sit wrong with me in terms of what they did do with this story. But when we do open this episode last week, Peter got into the machine after Olivia became the crowbar and he was going to do the damn thing. But when he stepped in, all of a sudden he woke up in the future. We saw him at One World Trades. We assumed wrongly, me, I assumed wrongly that it was 2021-ish because there was a plaque that said it was dedicated in 2021. The beginning of this makes it clear that it's actually 2026. So we have jumped from 2011, 15 years into the future, where there is still fallout from what we actually find out is that Peter used the machine. He destroyed the other universe, but because our prime universe and the alternate universe were inextricably linked together in destroying that one. It made ours unstable and on the verge of collapse in perpetuity and team fringe, which Peter and Olivia are now married and they are big high up guys on team fringe. Uh, Ella is a rookie agent grown up and looking hot, but (laughs) that's a little bit uncomfortable, is also on Team Fringe, and we are running around using the Amber to contain the vortices that they call them. But our main problem is there is a group called the End of Dayers led 
as we are, go to find out, it actually is all Walternate running it. But in the moment, we think that it's it's led by this guy named Moreau, who is none other than Charles Lee Ray, Brad Dorif, who is the physical embodiment and voice of Chucky, the killer doll, and Grima Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. Two people you don't want to be locked in a room with either way. So when Brad Dorif shows up, I'm like, okay, this has got to be the big bad. And I think they got Brad Dorif to be the leader of the end of dayers so that we wouldn't expect Walternate to show up at the three quarter mark of this episode as the actual guy in charge of this group. Because we don't even know up front that Walternate has survived Peter destroying the other universe. So as we're playing catch up, because Peter is disoriented because he has his consciousness has pulled a Desmond Hume. It has gone forward in time. But then we find out that's actually not totally what's happened. This is like a sliding doors moment where we're seeing what happened when he did this. And we know kind of the way that the story is framed <laughs> that undercuts a little bit of the tension is I know we are not going to go forward with a fourth season of Fringe taking place in 2026. This is not House of the Dragon. We are not going to jump 15 years in the blink of an eye. So I do like that they give us a gray tinted theme and, and title sequence with new fringe things that are more futuristic. But Marcelo, did you take the bait that when we find out that this is not like a vision, this is actually what has happened? that we were going to live in this future universe? Or did you always know that at some point we are going to return to that moment where Peter stepped into the machine? I didn't take the bait believing that we were going to stay in 2026. I just loved the overall conceit of this episode, giving two versions of our Peter in our universe, the chance to correct the mistakes of his younger self, or in this case, the the fringe group when they were younger. I understand you not liking the storytelling techniques. This, to me, played more like J.H. Wyman, Pinkman, and everybody involved with fringe. This, to me, really played as if they were saying, um, we're sorry, Marcelo, for making you really, really pissed off with our storytelling in the in the back half of the season, and we're going to give you... We're going to give you a bad robot finale. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to, we are going to fuck with time. When our Peter essentially jumps 15 years, we find out that Walter is in prison, right? I have been very, very, very critical about the treatment of Walter on this, on this series. Sometimes I'm forgiving and sometimes I'm downright no. That man needs to be locked up for eternity, and that's it. You know, you need to lock him up and throw away the key. So I really like the fact that by our by our Peter, you know, subconsciously jumping 15 years once he steps into the machine, that we got to see a version of Walter that finally got to pay his penance. And we got to see him locked up and destitute. And just in, in you know, in uh, in dire straits. That to me was one of the hallmarks of this episode. The Ella thing, I thought was cool because the second that I saw her, I go, "That's not the one I like." What the what what the hell 
is with this shit. Um, the Brad Dorf thing, I, I thought he was a good, I, I thought he was a good distraction, a good red herring, but subconsciously in my mind for just me personally, I knew it was going to come back. To, I knew it was going to come back to Walter net ultimately. But again, I do understand where you're coming from. The storytelling from last week really frustrated me. I felt that I was playing catch up this whole episode as opposed to last week where I felt that I knew everything that was coming before, you know, you know, you know, before my fringe team did. So that's why this finale played better for me than it might have for you. It plays great. It's a very entertaining and fun episode of TV. But my main hang up now is I actually feel like this is almost four episodes worth of events crammed into 42 minutes. Now, if we had jumped to the future and we slowly find out, okay, Ella is now a rookie agent. When we have like this moment and we find out that Walter was blamed for basically destroying everything because he's the one who created the events that required Peter to get into the machine. And Peter even says, well, it was me who went into the machine and did the damn thing. But Walter was the one who took the fall. And so when they recover a machine from the end of Dayers, he says the only person who can help us uncrack what's going on here. And if there's a way to save our universe or at least track these people down so that they can't fuck up everything worse, we need Walter. And we find out from Broyles, who's a senator, Walter has been locked away for years and there's no way we're letting that guy out. But they let him out and he has a reunion with Peter and he has a reunion with Olivia, which it's great to see Walter pay the toll and be so broken, and he has these nice reunions. But for us, Walter, Peter, and Olivia have only been separated for 14 and a half minutes. So it hasn't been 15 years of us watching. We haven't had four episodes of them being like, I wish Walter was here. So it's like so accelerated that when we spend five minutes of running time on these tearful reunions... And people catching us up on what's happened by telling me what has happened rather than showing me what has happened. I just wish that they could have taken their time because all of these points would be like emotionally devastating if we even spread this out over three episodes at the end of the season for like a three part finale. And especially because Fringe never knew if they were coming back for another season. So when they crafted this, they made it so that if this was the series finale, like it would have played okay. But even then it would be like, well, you really rushed it. You guys, I gave you the ball and I told you like, just take it down to the end zone. I didn't mean you to take it on a rocket. Like, I just want you to just take your time. So I think that's, that's my main hang up is there is a lot of great moments and there is a ton of emotion, especially in the back half. But how much more would this have landed if we actually spent a lot of time with 2026 Olivia Dunham, because I would care so much more. We are bringing our baggage, but to see the life that Pete, her and Peter have and Peter looking at the drawing and imagining their life and they don't have children yet. And like that's still been on the back burner. I just would have liked a little bit of a slow roll for us to luxuriate in this this terrible future so that when we course correct the course correcting is more satisfying. And then when they pull the rug out from underneath us, it hits twice as hard. So they try twice to pull the rug out from underneath us. The one is the one that 
I don't think anybody watching the show thought was going to be permanent, which is as the events go on, Peter discovers Walter and it's the motherfucker behind this. He goes and he meets Walter at the old lake house and they have a talk and it's Walter in it and turns out to be a hologram because Walter Nitt has been stewing and his ultimate plan is to take everything away from Peter and punish him and Olivia Dunham is killed. And I'm like, okay, imagine how much more this would hit if I thought for even half a second that Olivia Dunham was going to fucking get murdered in the season three finale of Fringe. Did you buy that Olivia could possibly actually die? No. Hearing you sort of sort of rework the story in reference to pace and, you know, and dropping hats on the ground. That's a big thing to me with writing. Now I'm really, now I'm really starting to see the problems that you had with this episode leading up to this episode for over, you know, you know, four weeks would be, would have been better, but yeah, I just, you know what? This doesn't happen on the show too much, but you just changed my mind. This episode would have worked so much better. I'm serious, guys. This does not happen often on the show. This episode would have worked so much better if they would have led up to everything. And if we would have spent some more time in 2026 and then gotten the big pieces of this finale. That being said, though, I did not. Um, I did not remember uh, Walter Nett's alternate plan of taking everything away from Peter which ultimately, which ultimately, which ultimately led to the death of the 2026 version of Olivia Dunham. With that being said, I knew that wasn't going to be permanent because we did have another season to, uh, to you know, uh, uh, we do have another season to talk about. But at the time, I imagined that I, I, I was probably sitting at home going, "Holy shit! They just killed Olivia Dunham. What the what the fuck are they doing?" From a sense of story, now that you've, you know, you know, uh, now that you've reminded me what proper good storytelling is like, this doesn't really work. Well, and I just want to be clear. Here's the thing. I do think this is like a 9.0 out of 10 episode. This is an incredible episode. It's great. I just think it could have gotten to a 10 out of 10 if we stretch this out over a three episode arc and over the course of the 22 episode season. I could easily eliminate three standalone half mystery of the week, half universe episodes, collapse those into one and expand this out to just make all of these things that they had planned hit so much harder that, you know, we would be puddles on the floor when Olivia gets killed. Now, obviously at the funeral, when we see Peter up there and, and everything's going on, it, get, it starts to get to you just because of the collective baggage of Peter and Olivia over three seasons. Even if you don't buy that Olivia is going to stay dead, you know there's going to be a magic moment where we figure out how to undo this or make this not the path taken. But that funeral scene is still moving and interesting. And then all of this leads us to something that is really cool, but also starts to... Any any time travel story, if you start to pull at the little threads of the sweater, you can be like Weezer and unravel that thing immediately if you just keep pulling the thread. So we find out that one of the main vortices or whatever that's happening is this big whirlpool. And it's the wormhole 
that Walter realizes, okay, I think what we can do is we can drop the pieces of the machine into this wormhole. They will go back years and this will be a temporal paradox, okay, that we put the pieces of the machine into the wormhole, effectively making Walter the head of the first people, the guy who actually sent all these pieces to where they were. And by doing this, we can somehow influence Peter so that in the moment where he stepped into the machine in 2011, he will have the knowledge of these events and he will be able to, instead of destroying the alternate universe, he can make the choice to merge the universes in a way that lets both of them exist and stabilizes the 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 disruptions that have been happening since whatever Walter did. And in this moment, we don't know what they're talking about exactly. We would later come to realize that basically what Peter is going to do is going to build a permanent bridge between the two universes. So after they decide that this is what they're going to do, Peter does wake up back in the machine in 2011. So it's like a very like, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to do this. (laughs) And again, it works in the moment. It's perfectly fine. It's just like when I'm watching Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and they say, dude, remember to put a trash can at this prison that's going to then land on this dude's head and then we'll throw some keys in a bush so they can find the keys. And they're like, yeah, we'll just do it all later and we don't see them do it. But all these magic things happen because they said they were going to go back in time and do it. So we we just go down that rabbit hole of this is how it is. If they say they're going to do this thing, we can rewrite history based on what happened. So when Peter starts to merge the universes, all of the sudden, Folivia and Walternet are in the same room as Olivia and Walter, and they're all watching Peter in the machine as the two universes are bridging together. Marcelo, what are you thinking as this is the solution? How did we not know this was a possibility before? Why have we been speaking end of days when... Obviously, the best thing would have been, let's stabilize both and have them live in harmony. When Walter starts talking about, you know, time travel and a paradox, I liked this this wormhole concept. But again, this whole conversation is making me realize that if this episode was executed a little bit slower from a writer's perspective over several weeks the emotional beats would have hit harder. We would have been puddles on the floor. And when Walter suggested this paradox, this paradox basically could have been a way to answer and solve the question of the entire series. Everything that has happened in this series is the fault of prime Walter, our Walter. So seeing Walter come up with an, come up with a solution as a way to heal the damage that he's done to both uh, to both Alt Olivia's world and to our world is so fascinating. But again, in reference to execution, I, I I'm I, I'm sitting here going. Uh, when I, when I write time travel again, I really need to, I really need to think about it. Like I said, I don't like to get hung up on mechanics of time travel. Cause the minute you start to overthink it, you can undo all of it. And 
the final moments of this back in 2011. So in 2011, when I was watching this less critically, this was one of the best finales I had ever seen. And I still, like I said, it's a nine out of 10. I just feel like we could have got to the 10 out of 10. And when they have bridged the, the universes, Peter comes out of the machine. He's like, guys, check your beefs at the door. We're going to fucking work this shit out. Everything's going to be copacetic, baby. Like, relax. And so Walter and it, Walter, Folivia, Olivia, everybody starts to relax a little bit. They're like, okay, maybe we can, you know, team up. You know, I, I guess we can do this. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, yeah, see, guys, I was blah. And he fucking disappears. And I'm screaming. I'm like, no, what in the hell? What just happened? Then we cut to outside Liberty Island. We see 10 observers hanging out and they're like, well, it's come to pass. He's done the thing and they're already forgetting him. Peter now never existed. Peter now never existed. Motherfucker, didn't this whole thing happen because Walter ripped a hole in the, the universes because Peter existed? So now if Peter never existed, how did any of this happen? So again, I don't like to be the guy who looks at time travel and says, well, if you do this and this and this and this, but if Peter never existed, the entire mythos of fringe that we just paid off in spectacular fashion, establishing what was going to solve the universe problem, who the first people were all these answers. And then we just say, well, now Peter never existed. Never. How Marcelo? What? This was a finale moment that sends you screaming until the show would come back. But I'm just like, never? If they had said, Peter is gone now and they don't remember he was here. Okay. So all these events in the parlance of Bad Robot, whatever happened, happened. But no, no. Peter now never existed. Motherfucker, what did you say to me? Yeah, uh, when you think about it, that doesn't really work because uh, by the observers saying Peter never existed, the whole the whole construct of Fringe as a series collapses within itself. If Peter never existed, then then Alt Walters, you know, version of Peter never gets sick. Uh, you know, you know, Olivia never goes to the Cortex event trials. Uh, the uh, the 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 Hamburg flight that 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 kicked off Fringe never happens. So I think that uh, you know um, uh, Jeff Pickner and J H Wyman, who wrote the teleplay for this episode, really did that. Really did the best that they could have done. But with that being said, they could have done much better, especially if they knew that there. I would have. I would have aired on the side of caution if they weren't absolutely sure that they were coming back because if they didn't come back for another year this could have been another lost situation right we got so many good ideas in here but ultimately it felt like a smorgasbord that collapsed within itself because the writers decided to go for everything in the kitchen sink instead of being pragmatic and giving us just a little bit to tie up the entire fringe uh, mythos, the entire fringe mythology without 
without doing some timey-wimey bullshit stuff that will that will potentially leave us going mad if the fringe you know if, if the show didn't come back for uh, um a new season so on that saying that i feel that this finale from a point of structure again from a point of structure didn't work but it was entertaining but if you if you think about it and if you think about the mechanics of it it doesn't work at all it's one of those rare things where, like I said, one of my favorite episodes of the season. And I do think overall, with everything it does, it is incredible. And they give us so many great answers in the body of this episode that you're just having a blast. So if we're not overanalyzing everything, which, of course, if you're listening to a podcast, you want people to overanalyze everything. This is a dynamic finale. And I remember back when I watched this just being like, Holy crap, I have no idea what they're going to do in the next season. So as down as I am on it, it is still thrilling. And I do think that we get everybody gets a great moment. So like when we see slightly weary, a little bit grizzled Peter Bishop have to grapple with losing his wife intense. Joshua Jackson is incredible. Obviously, Anna Torv in her limited screen time in this episode, still amazing seeing that slightly older Olivia and how she's dealing with the new normal. And John Noble, who often is the MVP of Fringe, in this episode in particular, where he gets to play big-bearded, socially inept, on the verge of madness again from isolation, Walter Bishop, is fantastic. The joy on his face when he reunites with Olivia, absolutely terrific. When he gets those moments as the pieces of the plan fall into place and he is back to being the Walter who is the guy who can come up with the solutions to the problems. I am just beaming ear to ear, so happy. And he also gets a devastating, icy cold monologue as Walternate in the same episode. This season, I think Noble really was for me the MVP overall because Walter and Walternate were so different And he found ways throughout the season to make us obviously care about both of them, which for most of it, we're like, Walternate is this motherfucker. And then you start to warm up to Walternate, and then he turns back into that MF again. So I thought, as a season, he gets the award for me, but Anna Torv getting to do Folivia, Olivia, William Bell Olivia is right up there. Like, it's neck and neck, but... I think at the time this aired, this was one of the most underrated casts on TV. Any one of these performances could have been Emmy award worthy. And because it was a genre show, the Emmys often overlook that stuff. So I do think that as an accumulated work, now that we're looking back on the entire third season, the acting this year was off the charts. Some of the best we've ever seen. Marcelo, what did you think now that we're looking back at the entire season? I, um, I thought, I, I thought the season was 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 so much fun. Like I loved Anna Tor being able to flex her muscles so much, playing our Olivia, Alt Olivia, and goddamn Leonard Nimoy. I love that stuff. At the time of the show being on the air, nobody really talked about the show. So I really think that throughout its entire run, it was really, really undervalued. And nobody freaking ever talked about it. And I think if this show 
was on HBO at the time, and Bad Robot had the deal that they had at HBO on HBO at the time. I think it would have been a different story. I think that this show had the potential. I'm not saying that it would have been as good, but this show had the potential to catch the science fiction zeitgeist of the populace at the time to become a like Game of Thrones thing. But unfortunately, this show was relegated to regular network TV, right? Um, So with that being said, I really... I really thought that this season, the first half, was great. It's just the back half that as a writer and me, you know, analyzing things up to the nines with Matt and other folks really took a lot of the wind out of the sails in reference to how they wrapped up the story for this season. Yeah, I think overall, if we're looking back at the entire season, I think this is so far, my favorite season of Fringe, because the first six episodes and the last six episodes, where we really do the serialized storytelling, where we are going in between the prime universe and the alternate universe, and the writers are saying, if you have never watched Fringe before, tough luck. You can't follow these episodes. We are not doing... You just flipped on the TV on a Friday night and you're going to kick your heels off and watch some mystery of the week bullshit. Nope. This is the the start of the season and especially the back half. If you are not all in, goodbye. Watch something else. We don't want you. And I love that they embrace that. I think that was one of the big steps forward in this season. They still do have a lot of standalone episodes in the middle, but the way that they bounced back from a, a red tinted episode where we were on the other side and with the normal episodes and we're on our side, I thought was a really fun dynamic expanding the characters of the alternate universe. Faux Livia, Lincoln Lee. I really cared about these characters by the end of these 22 episodes. And I think that having all these dynamics and a just a sense of playfulness and fun that the show is dealing with the end of days, a massive apocalyptic event, but there was still a levity throughout. It felt less dark and less cynical than some of the earlier seasons to me. And I really like that, that overall tone and thought this was the season where the show really comes into its own. And so for me personally, I would say season three is my favorite season of the ones we have watched of the first three. And it was a show that by the time this episode comes is firing on all cylinders where would you rank this season in the in the the hierarchy of just the first three seasons? I would actually go one, some of three, and then two. Right? I thought, you know, you know, you know. Again, I thought this. I thought this season was great. I really, really loved, like you said, them embracing the serialization. The the I love them embracing the serialized nature of fringe and being willing to tell the audience if you haven't tuned in before you're out of luck get the fuck out i really really appreciated that but i felt that just for me personally i felt that i was ragging on the writing in the season and as a 
uh, you know, in reference to execution, uh, execution and the way that you tell story and the way that you develop story and the way that you tell it. And that to me just personally really, really, really irked me and really, really took out some of the juice of these, uh, uh, of these amazing episodes that we got in the first half and the second half. The one thing before we, we send this episode off into the ether, Marcelo, what is the, is your hope for season four? When this ends, Peter disappears. Is there anything running through your mind? Like season four better do this when, when we're heading off into the, the waiting period. I'm really interested to see how you're going to react to it. Cause I have, because I have been, I have been waiting for us to have that opposing view because you and I are most, most of the time on the same page, but when the show gets fun, it's when you and I disagree. So I'm really looking forward to that disagreement because I really like J.H. Wyman. You don't. I accept Akiba Goldsman. You've enough said about that. So I'm really interested to see what what the show does to us from a writing aspect and how and and how we bite and how we you know bump heads going forward in season four and five. So that'll be fun to tackle. And when this finale aired, the main thing that was running through my mind was. If season four of Fringe does not undo this and bring back this version of Peter Bishop within the first five episodes, burn it all to the ground was my thought. So we'll have to see how that is going to go when next episode we are going to be talking about the season four premiere, neither here nor there. So that is the one episode homework for next week. Guys, if you want to yell at me about how much... I was wrong about this finale. You can do it in a couple of ways. You can use the hashtag radio 815 or reach out to us on Twitter at JJ universe 815. I'm also on Twitter at Matt Crandall, Marcelo. Twitter is a good spot to get in touch with you. How can the people do that? I'm at Creek fanatic 88. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. Please like, follow, subscribe, share. If you don't hang with podcast formats, We are also on YouTube. You can search for Radio 815. The back episodes are on there. So please, any comments or feedback, we appreciate it. And we swear we won't flick a switch that makes it so that you never existed if we don't agree with your comment. Until then, Radio 815, over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.